Welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. And I'm Marika Hart from Perisphere. Together, we interview leading authorities, and we answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information that we can find on all aspects related to women's health. Please remember that the materials and content on this podcast are intended as general information and they are for entertainment purposes only. They're not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Now sit back, grab your favourite beverage or do your thing and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. Um, it's just the two of us today and we're going to be talking about antenatal exercise. We don't have pregnancy. an expert to uh, interview for this, Anthony. We Hello. Have, we just have to make this up. You are the expert. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, but I'll give it a good go. I'll give it a good go. <laughs> it's good. So, um, you've got Herosphere, mm-hmm. which is, uh, why don't you explain it, an online community? Sure. Um, Herosphere is a bit random actually, because the way it came about was, I had a few clients in Perth who um, who came to my classes in Perth, which is dynamic strength physio, and a couple of them moved into more rural areas and wanted to keep coming to the classes but just couldn't uh, do the travel. And they said, can't you just put something online? And I thought about it. I was like, yeah, that, that'll be easy, right? Like just put a program online. <laughs> and about, you know, nine months later or something, it actually it actually came about. And the, the program sort of started from when I was doing my classes, initially it was just exercise. And then I had so many questions and the classes kept getting longer and longer. And then I started realizing, oh, there was some similarities with these questions. So I'll just create an education session and then another one and another one. And eventually it sort of, I've now got about 20 topics that I cycle through. So a lot of the ladies who come to my classes will start somewhere between, you know, 12 and 20 weeks and they'll stay right on until they give birth. So hopefully they kind of cover all of that. Um, so then I just put all of that into the online program and then created the exercise, um, videos as well. And yeah, it just kind of grew from that really. So it was not something that I ever, ever intended on doing. (laughs) And in retrospect, would I do it again? Not, not sure. It's a lot of work as you know. Um, but what's really nice is that when people from, like I had a lady last year was from Mongolia um, who just said, Oh, what, what kind of exercise can I do in pregnancy? I'm like, here you go. Give this a go. So it's quite nice because people can then do it in the comfort of their own home. Awesome. Mm. So how long have you been working in, in this uh, pregnancy exercise sort of area? That's a good question. I mean, I think as a physio, you end up working with pre and postnatal women all the time. Your whole career. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been teaching Pilates since about, I don't know, 2004. So it's been a while. But I guess, truthfully, I wasn't really that passionate about it until I got pregnant myself. And then when I was pregnant with my second child, um, that's when I started doing pre and postnatal Pilates training through the APPI, which for those overseas, it's the Australian Physio and Pilates Institute. So I did my training with them. And I still remember that because I was, I was very active through my pregnancy. And I remember going to this workshop and um, everyone assumed I was quite early on in my pregnancy because I, I was moving very comfortably. And um, it wasn't until halfway through the last day and I said, oh, look, I can't, I can't do this exercise because I think I was about 36 weeks pregnant. And they just suddenly went, what? You're 36 weeks? Oh, oh, gosh. Oh, if I'd known. I was like, no, no, I'm, f- I'm fine. Like, I can do everything. I, and I'm a physio and I know when, you know, what my limitations are. Um, but I just felt really, really strong and comfortable in my pregnancies and I had really good births. So 
from that, um, when I moved to Melbourne, I was working in a sports medicine clinic and a lot of the, especially the male physios, didn't really want to work with the pregnant population because they didn't feel uh, comfortable. They didn't feel very experienced. And so they were basically handballing. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, we're doing a little handball action for those who are listening on the podcast. But um, I was pretty much getting handballed all the pregnant and postnatal ladies. And so that kind of built from there. And then when I moved to Perth, I thought, you know, what? I'm just going to make that my thing. And that's been sort of four and a half years now, pretty much purely doing um, pre and postnatal exercise. And it's great. Like it's it's... It's, a, it's such a positive area to work in because you've got women who are coming in, they're really excited, um, especially first time around, first time around mums. They're, they're just so keen to have a good pregnancy and to meet their baby and then postnatally they want to get back into doing all the things that they had previously done or even more and I love being kind of a part of that journey. It's quite exciting. That was a really long answer, wasn't it? <laughs> no problem for me. Your son's now eight years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was your second pregnancy? Yeah, yeah. So I guess about eight or nine years. That would have been a short answer. No, that's cool. <laughs> I love it. I'm good with it. I, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, so what should we be thinking about, uh, about, you know, exercising, like even before you get pregnant, you're trying mm. to get pregnant, um, while you're pregnant, the first trimester... You know, you get through the first trimester and everything seems okay. The second trimester and then all the things that crop up there. And mm. then, you know, the final the final third third trimester before you give birth. And then, you know, the immediate postpartum period. We'll, we'll stick got, to the first. I was going to say, we, we could talk about this for days, Anthony. We'll, we'll just stick to the first a little bit first. <laughs> so pre, pre-pregnancy? Yeah, you're trying to have mm. a baby. You're exercising. What so, do you think? So this is this is a really um, it's, it's a really interesting topic because I know that you and I have had this conversation. I'm pretty sure before a couple of years ago. I'm pretty sure we're talking about this because I have had in recent years just these thoughts that I would love to get people before they even consider getting pregnant because if if you can build that baseline strength in the gym, learn some good techniques for you know lifting, you know, feel comfortable deadlifting something because. I'm telling you, as a mum, you're lifting all the time. And, you know, I see, I was watching the ladies come to my postnatal class yesterday and they're lifting heavy prams in and out of the car. And they're usually doing it one-handed because they've got a baby on the other side. And then uh, sometimes they've also got a handbag and a nappy bag and so diaper. Do they call it a diaper bag in America? So they're carrying all this stuff. Um, and when you have a baby who could potentially be six, uh, sort of 8, 10 kilos around that six-month mark, and you have a baby who's teething and a bit unsettled and you're having to constantly hold and jiggle for long periods of time. And I, I jokingly say, you know, I, I give people like who aren't pregnant a, a eight kilo kettlebell. And I say, look, imagine holding that for two hours because that's what motherhood is like, right? Yep. So in my mind, I keep thinking, man, I just, I'd love for mums before they even get pregnant is to just do some stuff in the gym. I know you'd probably be on board with that. He's, <laughs> he's getting some, he's like, he's, he's, he's nodding with excitement, but, you know, get some, get some good strength even before pregnancy. And um, so in terms of sort of conception, I guess one of this, we can have two extremes in terms of health and issues with conception in terms of, I'm just thinking weight at the moment. So women who are obese can struggle sometimes getting pregnant and whether that is to do with that sort of pre-diabetic state 
um, and the body not being sort of metabolically able to support a pregnancy. Um, and then the ladies who perhaps have gone through um, like REDS, so um, energy deficiency syndrome. Re- uh, relative. Relative, thank you. Relative energy deficiency syndrome, uh, what we used to call like the female athlete triad. So women who are perhaps underweight, who haven't had their period for a, for a long time, you know, some of those women can have problems with conception as well. So um, under-exercising and being obese and over-exercising, and I know that that's, it's not that clear-cut, but just those extremes can, produce, can cause problems with conception as well that I think is worth mentioning. So they're exercising now. Mm. Um, what what would you so you're saying how, how does somebody know like I mean relative energy deficiency in sport mm-hmm. reds how do you know that you're going overboard like I mean yeah, yeah, uh, you know because there's so much more you know red reds has been developed so that it, mm. it actually includes guys as well mm. and it's more than just um, you know the the old female athlete triad um, how do you know how how many people are really well equipped to, you know? Because for reds, if if I think anything close to reds, I'm like handball. handball. Yeah, it's yeah. not my area. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we had this conversation recently. I did a talk for some um, physios in Perth, and that was a question that I asked the other physios. I was like, if you suspected this was a problem, what are you going to do? Who are you going to send them to? And we actually did a little bit of brainstorming, but. I think for most of us, it would be sending them back to their GP and hopefully they've got a really good GP that can help them manage that because that's going to be a multidisciplinary approach. That's going to be, you know, probably psychologists and dietitians and as well as their doctors to, to yeah. screen, do their screening and give them the support that they need to get through that. But yeah, it's certainly not something that we come across. Well, I don't come across it a lot in the area that I work with because I tend to get women when they're already pregnant. Absolutely. So, you know... Okay, so to summarise the the before we're pregnant period, yep. just be mindful, I suppose, what you're saying is of going either extreme yep. and, um, and working with your healthcare providers about those sorts of things, making sure the medical issues um, are taken care of. And, and you know, lots of, uh, lots of women have seen their doctors about trying to get pregnant. So I, I feel like medical practitioners have got at least an awareness of some of the issues involved. And I know some people are out there thinking, oh, they don't have any idea, and I get that. But, you know, um, yeah. So we're we're not thinking, we're not not speaking to the Olympic athlete necessarily here. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we're We're talking to, you know, general public, and general public can certainly have health conditions that can impact the ability to conceive a baby. Good. But exercise in general is good. Mm, mm. We, we, you know, we endorse the World Health Organization's recommendations for exercise. So sure. 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise and two, and at least two sessions of oh, whole body strengthening. strengthening. <laughs> so, um, or 75 minutes of high intensity exercise per week. Two times a week. Um, two times a week? Mm. Isn't it? No, it's 75 minutes or 150 minutes. Oh, sorry, 150 minutes. minutes moderate, 75 minutes intense. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. 15 minutes, five times a week. But it's the two sessions that of whole body strengthening. That you'd like to, to, to make sure that's really well known. Because actually most people drop that off. Oh, yeah. Everyone knows the 150. 
They and you know what, Pilates and yoga have been. Um, you know, some authors have said that that classifies as whole body strengthening. So it doesn't have to be weights. Mm. It doesn't. It just has to be like strengthening mm. type activities. Put the um, muscles under a bit of load. Yeah, put them under load. Mm. I agree. Okay, cool. <laughs> but let's get on to what you really loved doing, which is antenatal exercise programs. Sure. Um, should we break it up into trimesters or... I, I think that can work quite well because I think a lot of people want to know, like, I'm pregnant now, what am I allowed to do? Um, and with... I just actually just this week had someone on... So I work with Girls Gone Strong, as you know, and help with... Um, uh, answering some of the questions in the Facebook groups. And we have one of the groups that I work on, we have about 14,000 um, health and fitness professionals. And we sort of, you know, discuss cases and share ideas and ask questions. And one of them said, you know, I've got a client who's pregnant. You know, she's really, really fit and active. What is she allowed to do now? And, you know, the, real, the, the answer to that basically is in the first trimester, if this person has been previously exercising or not, and we'll come back to that, but if they're already fit and active, they're exercising, they're feeling good, they've got the clearance from their doctor, continue, continue. And that doesn't matter if, if that's running, that's fine, it's swimming, ride a bike. There are very few caveats in the first trimester. And really, the main thing is that we know that the, the miscarriage rate is really high. Um, and I can't, geez, I should know, I did know the stat off the top of my head, is it one 25, 25%. Yeah. yeah. One, yeah I was going to say one in four or one in five. Yeah, but it's really high. Um, and... Often as health professionals, we're reluctant to give people exercises because we're like, oh, what if they do this exercise program and then and then they have a miscarriage? Because that can happen. It's highly unlikely to be related to that. But then we feel like, oh, I wouldn't want that to happen, you know, on my watch kind of thing. Um, so, the, but the main thing really is overheating. That's, a, some, that's something that we want to watch out for in the first trimester. Um, we need to be mindful of that in Perth. So in Perth and probably in Sydney too, we can get temperatures of up to 45 degrees Celsius. And how do we manage that as health and fitness professionals? Well, we make sure that if they're exercising, they're not exercising in the heat of the day somewhere where there isn't good ventilation. So we need to make sure that there's good ventilation. If it's hot, it needs to be air, conditioned, air conditioning. We need to make sure they have access to water so they're keeping well hydrated. They're taking rest whenever they need to. Um, some things that I've had to do in classes where it's it's been really warm in the evening because my classes run from 6.30 to 7.45 at night. Now, Typically, that's not a problem, right? We've had a couple of nights where it's still 38 to 40 degrees at that mm. time of night. And the hall that I'm in doesn't have air conditioning. So we've actually gone outside and because we get the Fremantle doctor in the afternoon, that breeze comes through. And we've actually just done really gentle stretching and meditation kind of stuff in that, in that instance. Well, it's, it's particularly dry in Perth yeah. as well. And it's the evaporation of the sweat of your skin that does the cooling. Mm. So in Sydney... Um, and anywhere where it's humid, um, when it's humid and you're sweating, and even if you've got a nice breeze, if you're at like 90 plus percent humidity, you're not evaporating that sweat off very well. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with the cooling, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, when, when the Fremantle doctor comes through, <laughs> <laughs> all that dry stuff just... Oh, <laughs> it can be quite nice, yes. So things like, um, I, I would always advise people against hot yoga and Bikram yoga. Mm. And I, I look, I know there are some people who do it. And um, a very good friend of mine is a Bikram yoga instructor, did it through her pregnancies, um, loved it, felt fantastic. And that's her personal choice. Um, and I, But I've had people say to me, should I do it? 
And I'm always going to come back to the guidelines and say, I can't recommend that because I just don't know that that's safe. And we do know that, you know, when the core temperature gets above a certain amount, there's there's a high risk of of, um, problems with the fetus. So that's probably the biggest concern in the first trimester. Um, In terms of what kind of exercise is good, we really... We really kind of stick with what what does that person enjoy? Like what is fun for them? What do they gives them joy and makes them feel good? Like my my sort of rules I don't want to say rules, because I don't have rules, but my guidelines for exercise in pregnancy is like, you know, it needs to be convenient because there's no point in me saying you need to go to this class that's ages away, you're never gonna to get to. Um, so it needs to be convenient, it needs to be enjoyable, yeah? Um, and it needs to make you feel good. So if you leave that class and and you're like, oh, because I, I get lots of clients and they go, oh, my back was really sore or I was really tired and I didn't want to come tonight. And then afterwards they say, I'm so glad I can't. I came. I, f- I feel much more energised. My spine is moving better. My back pain has gone or whatever. And I think, yes, this is this is why you're here. Um, but you sh- I do feel like you should leave feeling better than when you walked in. So that's kind of my thoughts with what is the best type of exercise. Um, it could be anything. Some people yeah. like to swim, ride, go to the gym. Do Pilates, CrossFit, do CrossFit, you know, whatever rocks your boat. Whatever <laughs> rocks your boat. Um, and then I think factoring in sometimes uh, fatigue and nausea are the big things in the first trimester. So it might be that certain times a day you feel a bit better and you're feeling like you, you want to exercise. And other times a day you might just be feeling like, excuse your language, but rat shit. Um, and you're just like, I don't, I don't want to go to the, I don't want to go to the gym today. Um, but interestingly, in terms of that nausea, some women feel better for exercise. They'll, they'll actually think, oh, I don't want to go do anything, but actually movement and exercise can help them manage some of those uh, pregnancy symptoms anyway. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> so summary of the first trimester mm-hmm. is uh, keep keep your temperature under control. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't overdo it. Don't overheat. Um, we know the risks to the baby if we overheat. Um, and do stuff that you're doing before and we didn't talk about starting new exercise. Oh yes, I was going to come back to that. Cuz I don't know about you Anthony, but when I went to uni they said you can't well, we were taught you can't start a new exercise in the yep. first trimester. You have to wait until the second trimester. Now in recent years the doctors are like heck no, you start. If you've never done exercise before in your life, get just get Get the clearance from your doctor to make sure you're fine, but start exercising the first trimester. And the reason for this is that the benefits of exercise in pregnancy are so significant and they so outweigh the risks, the potential risks associated, that the, doc, the, the medical advice now is get cracking yeah. um, because the, risk is, the risks are so low compared to the benefits. And the benefits, we haven't even gone to that, but should we talk about that? Let's talk about <laughs> why should we do exercise? Oh my God, I'm on my soapbox. I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> But, um, you know, benefits for mum, less chance of gestational diabetes and excessive weight gain, better subjective experience of pregnancy, so don't tend to feel so much of the aches and pains, tend to feel better, Um, less back and pelvic pain as well. Um, What else? Uh, Some of the reduced risks of, um, I think, pulmonary emboli or something like that, but certainly preeclampsia is reduced as well. What's preeclampsia? Preeclampsia is a condition that, can crop up usually in the final trimester where you get excessively high blood pressure um, and protein in the urine. It can be very dangerous for mum and baby. Um, so it can reduce your risk of that, which is clearly really good. Um, what else? So for mood, it really helps women manage um, 
perinatal depression and anxiety can reduce the symptoms, but it can also help women manage their symptoms. Um, women tend to have better quality sleep when they're exercising through pregnancy. Um, oh, what else? Oh, there's a, a pregnant uh, birth, so it can reduce the the stages of labour. So you can make your efficient, you make your pushing stage more efficient. Um, less likely to have C sections. I mean, there's just tons. There's tons, and there's benefits for baby on top of that as well. And in terms of the risks, there are very, very few. Very, very few risks associated. And well, the background risk of miscarriage is like that twenty five percent anyway. Exactly. So you know. And I think um, when you look at even the higher levels of exercise, we used to be well, we the medical community used to be worried about women doing lots of high intensity exercise like running and I guess things like CrossFit. Really, I guess more the cardiovascular, the high intense cardiovascular type exercises. Um, consistently, and they used to worry about women having smaller birth weight babies. And, um, you know, now they've done lots of research and, and actually said these babies are coming out healthy um, and they've got good APGARs and there doesn't seem to be any of those concerns anymore. So even the women who, so for Olympic athletes, you've probably seen some of those videos of, you know, remember that woman who was like running the 400 metres and she was, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, 28, 30 weeks pregnant and I, I guess part of us just kind of cringes a bit and thinks, oh, what are you doing? You know, like, that's crazy. But she's fine. And, you know, she would have been under the care of um, her medical team to make sure that that was safe for her and for her baby. But, yeah, I think um, the, I, the IOC with the British Journal of Sports Medicine, for those who are really hardcore exercisers, they've got some really good information that's available free online. So if anyone wants to read more about athletes and exercise in pregnancy the IOC guidelines in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, I think from, so 2015? I think about 2015 are really good. And they, they outlines all the research they've done looking at all of, all of those factors. Cool. That was another tangent. Not really. I got a lot of tangents. <laughs> oh, I'm doing, this you're is, passionate. This is our Friday night podcast. I'm actually having a glass of wine at the same time. It's very professional. <laughs> well, you know, loose lips, lots of good information. <laughs> We're two, Um Well... Second trimester? I think we're on to the second trimester. Tell us. Um, they, they've gone through... They might have had some morning sickness and, mm. and it's settled down. They're feeling pretty good. Their body's definitely changing. Yep. The You know, the cardiovascular system's definitely changing. Mm. Um, beginning to start showing soon. What are we doing for exercise how, you know, the considerations of the, the weight changes and the, the body balance, the, the, the body changes, the ability to do what they were doing before. What are we thinking about there? One of the things I guess we didn't cover on the first trimester, but just to, just to so that I don't forget to mention it, is that because you mentioned the changes to the cardiovascular system and, you know, there's a huge increase in blood volume in that 20%, first. I think. Um, I think it's more, I think it's more 40%. It's, it's quite increase high. Increase in blood volume. Yeah. The increase in blood volume in the first trimester is really high. And I, of course, didn't know this off the top of my head if you'd asked me a year ago, but um, <laughs> it's it's really significant. And that's why a lot of women actually, you know, they, I remember this point of, I was doing boot camp in my second pregnancy and I remember sprinting and going, I just can't, like, I don't have any oomph anymore. And I was so breathless. I was like, 
this is pathetic and made me really annoyed. And I, I always remind my, my clients now, I'm like, you know what, your body is actually working a lot harder. And it's, it's hard in that first trimester because your baby's tiny, right? And you're thinking, why do I feel so tired? Why do I feel so sick? Um, and you're trying not to tell people too, Exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> and you, you just have to acknowledge the fact that there's, there's this huge change. So you may not be able to push your, yourself as hard in that first trimester, even in those first, like, you know, six, eight weeks, you might notice some pretty significant changes. I mean, some women don't notice much at all. Um, and others, you know, like me, I got really breathless by about, I reckon about eight to 10 weeks. Um, but yeah, but moving on to that second trimester. So obviously baby starts to get bigger. So we start to, you know, a lot of women will start to develop a bump in that second trimester and the baby starts to move in and around that time as well. Excuse me. Um, there's often some changes to um, some women might notice changes to posture as well and the breast sizes can increase, um, might notice changes to their centre of gravity, how they stand and how they move. Um, it's not so much like the final trimester where you're getting yourself wedged getting in and out of the car it's not, or can't do your shoes up anymore, which is devastating. Um, <laughs> so often, you know, a lot of women are still pretty comf- comfortable in their second trimester, but again, might be getting a little bit heavier, a little bit more tired. Um, might notice themselves getting a little bit more breathless. So in terms of how that affects exercise, and of course, as your belly is growing, your abdominal wall comes under more tension. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, diastasis recti a bit later, but a lot of women find that they just can't develop as much strength in their abdominal muscles. And that's probably more in that third trimester, but maybe a bit in the second as well. So they may find that some exercises, they just can't lift as much. They just can't hold positions as well. Um, they just can't generate as much force because you do actually rely on the muscles through the abdominal wall in order to be able to lift something overhead or push something with your legs. So, so um, Anthony's he's yawning away, but I think it's because he got up at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, so it's actually in the second trimester a lot of women start to change to something that's a little bit more pregnancy related so some women will turn to yoga and pilates and things like that um sometimes because they think that that's the best thing for them and for the baby um they're worried about doing other types of exercises because they're not quite sure other women maybe haven't done a lot of exercise and again are drawn to those kind of classes because they're not really sure what they what they should be doing um but generally speaking like that first trimester there's, there's a lot that you can still be doing in that second trimester so you can still be um, with caveats, of course, lifting weights in the gym, doing CrossFit. If you're running and you're not having any symptoms, and we can talk about that a little bit later as well, if you like, most of the exercises you can continue in your second trimester. The main ones I guess we watch out for will be anything where you're at a high risk of falls. So things like downhill skiing. Um, we were talking about cycling earlier, but off-road mountain biking wouldn't be a good choice. Jumping out of a plane. It's probably not a good one. Um, anything where scuba diving, water, yeah, I was gonna say water skiing, where water can obviously enter the birth canal um, <laughs> at pressure, um, and scuba diving because of the the pressure and the potential issues associated with that. Um, they would be. I'm trying to think because I I don't have any notes with me. This is totally contact sports. Off the, yes, thank you, contact sports. So I've had clients who who love netball and they're like, I, I it's fine. I can just play whatever. And it's like. Netball is a contact sport. It is a contact sport, but certainly martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> martial arts. I do Taekwondo. Full, full um, contact. Full martial. contact martial arts. 
Definitely not recommended. Um, but, you know, anything where you're at risk, basically, of something, something slamming into your belly or you falling heavy onto your belly um, are, are not recommended from the second trimester onwards. And it, it, it is said that the, um, the forces required to injure a baby are something like a car crash, you know. Like it's it, huge, yeah. It, it, it is big forces. So we don't want to give people the wrong idea that, you know, if you bump your belly on your partner's head as you pass by the dining room table, <laughs> and this isn't going to hurt your baby. But yeah, yeah. we're talking about falling at speed onto your belly. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I've had lots of CrossFit um, mothers do burpees still. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just just have to think about that. Maybe maybe not a box jump, maybe just do step-ups. Yeah. One of the considerations that, that I ask my athletes to think about is whether or not the bar path, yeah. In a barbell, whether or not you want to uh, change your technique, because you're going to have to get around the belly, and and a vertical bar path for a clean and a snatch is um, is important. Mm. And if you develop the habit of going around your belly, which you can do, it's very easy to do. Um, that's okay. So long as you realise that you're just going to have to retrain your technique after mm. you have your baby, and for some for some athletes they find that really hard to do. They worked really really hard to get a vertical bar path, and then they they retrain and they 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 use a a, a bar swinging out in front bar path. They have their baby, they return to lifting, and it's just like oh, I've got to start all over again. <laughs> So that, that is a consideration. And other sure. people, you know, they go, you know what? It, it took me like a month to just get a vertical bar path again. Mm. It's really individual, but it's definitely a consideration. Yeah. Um, and, and that might even be involved swapping out to, to, dumbbells, to dumbbells or to kettlebells or something else. Or um, what's that one that I always forget what it's called, the one that goes around? The hex. Yeah. So the hex bar, you don't really lift above your True. waist anyway. So. True. Or above your thighs, really. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, so I just sometimes just think that'd be quite a... I don't know. For some reason, that just I, I feel like that would be quite nice in pregnancy as an exercise, just doing that. Yeah, anyway. It's nice for a difference. Mm. Mm. There's safety bar squats as well, camber bars. What are safety bar squats? Um, so safety bar has got some different angles on it and it lets you hold on to it here oh, okay. so that you don't have to get into this opened out position to yeah. hold on to the bar. Okay. So people with shoulder injuries usually use a shoulder oh. restrictions. That would be really, really handy right now. I've got a couple of clients who would do well with that. Yeah. Struggle to get their shoulders into that position. Well, lots of good gyms mm. who do rehab or have enough money to buy cool equipment have safety bars. Yeah, nice. Um, while we're talking about other modifications, um, the big one we haven't talked about is the pelvic floor. And pelvic floor is something that women, you know, I try and educate my pregnant women, I'm sure you do as well, Anthony, just about. And again, it's not about scaring women, but, you know, we want our clients to know that the weight that's sitting on the pelvic floor over a period of time through pregnancy is going to get bigger. Um, and they just need to be aware that, A, what symptoms to look out for. So whether there's any leaking or heaviness or dragging, um, we, we want to avoid them through pregnancy. Some women in the first or second trimester stop impact exercise because they actually just doesn't feel good. And it, they, I find, and I know you've, we've had this conversation before, most women self-select to kind of go, 
you know what, I don't want to keep running. I, don't, I actually don't get women who are like, I'm leaking urine every time I run through my pregnancy, but gosh darn it, I must keep going. I don't see that a lot. I see, I mean, postnatally, yes. But in pregnancy, I don't find that women seem to have as much of a, uh, an urge to keep pushing through those symptoms as much. Um, so, yeah. And, and when you look at that, that big study that was by the Park Run people looking at really regular runners running through their pregnancy and how many of them were still running by the end of the final trimester. And these are really, these are people who love running. Running is everything to them. And it was still only, I think, maybe 30% or something towards the end. So even people who love to run do tend to back off through pregnancy. Um, so I think it's not, I don't know, I, I think people get a bit over-sensitive about running in pregnancy and if a woman's running and she's pregnant, people certainly seem to want to have opinions on it. But if she's healthy and happy and not having any issues and, you know, if, if she had even the slightest concern, that's she should go see a pelvic health physio and the pelvic Absolutely. health physio can do some checks for her, find out what's happening and give her some individualised, individual advice, you know. Um, but certainly some women will continue running towards the end, but not a lot. I don't Well, you know, it was actually an Australian marathon runner, Lisa Ondiecki, who... I remember that name. Yeah, so Lisa Martin was yeah. her, you know, she, you know, she won Commonwealth medals and stuff like that. And um, I just remember being challenged at the time because she ran her whole pregnancy to the day she delivered. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's a marathon runner. Yeah. She ran a lot. Um, and I just remembered that. And I just remembered that being so challenging to my <laughs> beliefs at the time, right? And it's just... And I've never forgotten that. Never forgotten that. Um, so, yeah. And I've, I've had a client who was... Um, I, I... Sorry, there's a motorbike going past. I jokingly call them my crazy runners. Because if you work with a lot of athletes, runners are a whole new breed. Um, one of my, my best friends, a runner, I joke that she's in a cult. It's, it's everything to them. And CrossFit's the same though, right? Like it's part of this. Anything that yeah, has a community. Exactly. Like the bike riders who ride and then they crowd all the cafes. Yeah. You know. <laughs> the mammals. <laughs> the middle-aged men in Lycra, for those who don't know that little acronym. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a part of their, yeah, their social life. It's, it's their psychological well-being it's, as well as their physical well-being and, you know, we have to have a pretty good reason for telling people to stop. And if we educate people and give them all the information that they need, they can then... I mean, these are women, these are women often weirdly in pregnancy, and this is totally another tangent, but they're often handled with, you know... Kid gloves. Kid gloves and patronised and told, don't do this, don't do that, and then, gosh, heaven forbid, when you go into labour and you're told you're not allowed to do things, it's like, hang on, hang on. I'm a grown-up woman Give me the information, let give me, me the pros the and cons, <laughs> let me make some choices for my body. So I feel the same way in pregnancy. We shouldn't yeah. be telling women, don't do this, don't do that. We say to them, here is the information. You can now make an educated choice based on your situation. If you understand the risks and you want to continue running, that's you know that, that's your decision. That's yeah. up to you. If you know that there are potential consequences. Um, yeah, anyway. Beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> love it. Um, I'm all about the adulting, you know, mm. because we do, we do have a very patriarchal, matriarchal type system mm. where, hey, we know what's best and you, we will tell you what to do Fall with your body. Fall into line, <laughs> you know? you're told, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So yes, we, um, we have to be internally consistent. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so we've talked about exercise technique. We've talked about um, the, the, the interwoven psychological, social, physical benefits of exercise. Yep. We've talked about uh, starting exercise because the benefits are, are, are far greater than, than the small risks. In general, of course, because there are a list of conditions that should that should stop you from exercising. But if you have them, usually your doctor, because you know you've hopefully seen a doctor, absolutely, um, will have screened you for these things. Um, if you feel unwell, what what are some of the signs that you should discontinue exercise? Yeah, so that's a really good point, Anthony, because you're saying about the screening, and that's so important. And I don't see anyone for exercise that hasn't been screened by their doctor because there are, obviously, there's general health conditions that might mean that you can't exercise, but there are specific, um, you know, pregnancy-related conditions. So anything involving a cervix, I'm really, really careful about. And, you know, I'll I'll have people say, oh, I've got a client who has this problem with their cervix. What kind of exercise can I do? And I'm like, I'm not answering that. That goes straight back to the doctor. It's a doctor question. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So there are some conditions because if you have an incompetent cervix or if you have a placenta that is actually covering the cervix, these are really high-risk pregnancies. And... Yes, there are, there are new theories around how much exercise can people can do, but it's but it so depends on how serious that condition. We is. went from and very small risk to hey, you could die type stuff. You, so. uh, well, your baby is, is your baby. yeah yeah. Well, also, but or, like rupturing and bleeding out, like you can you know, yeah. Whatever. So it's just we just don't mess with them. They're always handled straight back to the doctor. Yeah. Um, if you look at, the, so the ACOG guidelines um, are really good for just summarizing everything in pregnancy. The funny thing is it's most of the guidelines that have, they, they're supposed to be for pre and postnatal, but the, the pregnancy bit is like, you know, it'll be X number of pages long and then you'll get two paragraphs on, on postnatal. But um, the ACOG guidelines do have really good ACOG description. Oh, the, the American yeah. Congress of Ob- Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And we can put the link in the show notes actually. Absolutely. But they describe all the things to watch out for, um, which are signs that you need to stop exercising straight away. And I say to the health, the, the fitness professionals that I teach, I'm like, I'd like to think that if any of these would have were happening, that you would stop, stop straight away because it's kind of like you know if you have um, if you have things leaking. Yeah. So if amniotic fluid is coming out, stop exercising. If you go into labour, stop exercising. If you start bleeding especially at large amounts going to labor. But it's little things like, and, and we can definitely potentially come across these as physios, which might be DVTs yep. um, or pulmonary emboli. So if someone was exercising pretty comfortably and then got a sudden onset of breathlessness and... and or breathlessness before you started Before they exercise. even started, exactly. So breathlessness that's not sort of associated with the level of exertion. So it comes on suddenly and it's not related to the activity. That's a red flag. And women are more susceptible to having blood clots and pregnancy. So again, I have clients who in Perth, people fly all the time. And mm. we have a lot of FIFO workers, which is, it's, that means fly, fly, in, fly in, fly out. Yeah. So for those in America, we have clients, we have clients who every single week will fly four or five hours to a mine site and then fly back again. And so if, they, if, if one of these ladies has come back and are suddenly talking about 
calf, calf pain. Sorry. Yeah. Bang, that's straight to hospital. So things like that, you, you know, are just red flags for us. And obviously, you know, severe headaches and um, other dizziness. symptoms. Dizziness, yeah. Yeah, anything that will make you increase your risk of falling. Yeah, so unsteadiness or loss yeah, of balance. Yep. Um, and especially if, you, if, if anything, I, I guess with pregnancy, there's a lot of that following your gut as well. So if something is just not right, it's always straight back to the doctor, always. And, you know, it's a sad story to say, but my, um, my cousin's wife, just one day she said, oh, I just don't feel the baby moving so well today. And he ended up having a heart condition. It's a pretty tragic story. It's a very tragic story. But, you know, she trusted her gut and went, mm, I'm just... And she, but she didn't want to make a fuss. And as women, we often just go, oh... I don't, don't want to bother. make a fuss. I don't want to bother anyone. But I just think, you, you know, once you've got to know your baby and you've got to know your body, if anything it doesn't feel right, don't be embarrassed just to go and talk. Just call your doctor or just, you know, call your obstetrician or just go in. We say that easily here in yeah, Australia. In Australia. And, and I, I was just London. about to say. Yeah, you know. I had my babies in London and it was never a problem, never a problem to go in and, and just run a trace or, you know, do whatever they need to do. I know that it's harder in some areas. Much harder in America. Like, because it costs money. I know. And, like, you know, if you if you ran for every time that you're worried, in Australia, you can. Mm. You know, you just front up and they'll they'll see you, they'll take care of you, and it won't cost you anything generally. Mm. Um, <laughs> but in it's America... It's easy said than done, isn't it? It is. Like, there is... We, we are very fortunate. Yeah. Well, what can I say? But, um, yeah, absolutely. A couple uh, of things that we probably should touch on would be supine exercise. Supine exercise yeah. is important. This is this is an interesting one, Anthony, because, again, we were sort of told from, I mean, I think originally I was told no supine. So when I say supine, I mean lying on, on the back. Yeah. Um, I was originally told no lying on your back exercises after 16 weeks. And then it became sort of 20 weeks. And then if you look at Sports Medicine Australia, I think their current guidelines are no prolonged exercises lying on your back from 28 weeks what is prolonged i don't yeah. know it's not really specific what's the definition of um prolonged? yeah it's a it's a tricky one so this is again one of those risk benefit things generally speaking if a woman is lying on their back doing exercise for a short period of time it's pretty safe right if they start to feel lightheaded that's usually the sign that that the baby's actually sitting on the inferior vena cava, which is one of those major blood vessels which brings the blood back to the heart and then to the brain. So they start to feel a bit woozy, in which case they can either bring the back up slightly or slightly roll onto one side. So just putting cushions on one side can work well. Um, so there's ways around that. Or if you're doing bench work, you can just change the bench angle, right? Like you can bring the back up again. Um, so it depends a lot on women's comfort. Again, risk-benefit kind of thing. It's highly unlikely that there's any, going to be anything wrong, but I would always kind of still stick to those guidelines of no prolonged exercises lying flat on the back. But for me, um, are, do we need to do exercises lying on the back in pregnancy? I'm not sure that we need to. I So in my classes, we will do kind of a third standing up, probably, maybe even half. We do a lot of partner work. We do weights, bands squats, lunges, whatever. But we do a lot of stuff in standing because our life is in standing and you're going to be carrying that baby and lifting things in and out. Um, and then I'll, you can, we can do some things in high kneeling, on all fours, side lying, sitting, 
we have balls as well sometimes. So I feel like there's enough options. I don't feel like women are missing out by not lying flat on the back. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same, to be honest. There's easy ways to, like, I mean, if you really want to get a good ab workout, they can give you a good ab workout standing up, mm-hmm. hanging from a bar. Um, that's not a problem. The, one of the things, I, it was actually a patient that raised it with me. Um, she had found, and it is a small study, but it's still, it's still out there. Um, she'd found a paper that found that women who go to bed to fall asleep on their back, so who knows how long they're there for, increase the stillbirth rate. I think I read that study. You know, and, and it's that was, like, it was really yeah. So that's sleeping again, which is different. Well, but well, going to sleep. Mm. So just starting on your back, not even. You know I, what I, mean? I read some of the studies, and there was one that was looking at it, and and I think one of the hardest things of that is it's 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 retrospective, right? So it's like Anthony, I'm really sorry, you just lost your baby. You've had a stillbirth. What position did you sleep in last night? Yeah. Can, and we're just, we're just doing a survey. And I, I do was wonder... It, was that one a retrospective? I feel like it was prospective. No, well, one, the one that I read was retrospective. Right. They were actually going and asking women, right. how did you sleep in okay. the, the nights leading up? And so it's hard because, you know, what do women remember is, is one thing. How long were they in that position for? There's you know, so many factors. But, I mean, every but, little thing you remember, right? Yeah, like you just Because I mean, you're looking for the answers. And, but so many of my clients will panic because they've woken up in their back and i say to them look don't panic just roll over you probably woke up for a reason yeah yeah (laughs) and there was one period of time where all of my clients were told you must lie on your left side Mm. and i was having women with um hip pain yeah i remember having a woman come in and she'd had really bad left hip pain and I, and I naturally said, you know, what position are you sleeping in? She said, I've been, I've been a really good girl because <laughs> we do what we're told. I've been a really good girl and I, I'm spending my whole eight hours lying on there. I'm like, well, if I spent eight hours lying on that hip, on my left hip, I'd have le- left hip. And can you lie on the other side or can we change the angle with cushions and things? And she said, um, I thought you weren't allowed to lie on your right side. Mm. Um, and so I think sometimes these messages can get a little bit confused too because, yes, there might be a little bit better ventilation on the, on the left side or perfusion to the baby on the left side, but the stress that she was under, the lack of sleep, and I'm thinking if you're only getting four hours sleep a night, that's actually probably going to be more detrimental to the baby than alternating sides. And I'm not talking about supine here. I'm just talking about Lying spending on your right some time side. on the right side. Lying on the left side. <laughs> um, yeah. So... That's kind of that. That's my thoughts on supine exercise generally, and we looked at some studies. I know with GGS, and we're kind of in comparing women under general anaesthetic, and they actually would they had better pregnant women had better, um, better heart, uh, blood flow. I think when they were supine versus slightly sideline. You know, we, the more well, you read, the more the lying on the left gets the lying on the left thing. I don't understand because you expose the inferior vena cava to weight from above, right? Like because... Flat, straight down, yeah. Because when you're supine, ideally, the spine is there and the vessels sit below the level of the spine. So if your baby's going to do anything, it's got to slide off your spine to go press on that vessel. Whereas when you roll to the side, like it's kind of like a seat for the baby now. Like, I mean, 
And I know, it, it's packed in there. <laughs> Not enough room. But do you know what I mean? Like, you, you've just taken something which has a bony protection for it naturally, and you've just raised it, just by lying on your left, you've just raised it and put it as being more vulnerable, I think, to, to a foot or an arm or a, you know. I don't know. I don't know. You can do some study on that. <laughs> and maybe not. Excuse <laughs> not me, just, my lie, area of just lie in this position and we'll, 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 do, some, we'll do some measures. We'll do some ethical studies. Um, and then the other thing we haven't talked about is abdominal muscles and crunches and planks and sure. stuff. Because um, I think we both have seen a lot of stuff in the literature about diastasis recti. And for those who haven't listened to our talk with Diane Lee, which was wonderful i i i love that i actually went back and listened to that um because i thought it was so good so go and listen to that it was really good but we were talking about diastasis recti and and pregnancy and what we think causes it and how we don't actually know a lot about it you and i have both seen women who who have diastasis recti who've come to us postnatally who have just said oh my god i did this to myself i you know i lifted weights or i did this and i did that and I'm, I've ruined my body because of it. And, you know, this is one of those things that we just we just can't say. You know, maybe certain exercises are more protective. Maybe they're not. Um, but ultimately, we don't know what causes it. What's appropriate we, load for one woman may not be appropriate for another. Yeah, yeah. And as much as, if, if, as much as we would love to say that these series of exercises will reduce people's risks of diastasis recti, I mean, I've got a lot of theories um, and I'm sure, I'm sure you do lots of as well. And I could, I could, I could sit here and say, well, actually, the women who go through my pregnancy classes, on average, would have a. I think, based on what I see, because I get to assess them later, I would say they seem to have a lower rate of of significant diastasis, like three or more fingers. But I can't say that because I haven't done a study. And also, I don't see everybody postnatally that I've seen in pregnancy. So you and I, we have theories. We have some women who do really well with certain things. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is, is we don't know. So when it comes to things like crunching or planks, um, what I would look at is I, I like to get down on my knees and literally feel the abdominal wall or watch it. Um, if they are coning through there, and I mean, what I mean by that is bulging, and you can see that long line like a toblerone, um, I actually, I do stop women from, from persisting through those exercises because that's something that seems to make sense that that might make it worse. Um, if they are doing an exercise and controlling the pressure well, and I look at, and I feel that abdominal wall and it actually feels like there's nice sort of that nice continuity. You know what I mean? Um, like a cylinder. It's like a cylinder. Yeah. We don't have the Toblerone, uh, and they're managing that well and they're breathing well and they're not having any symptoms. Then I'm okay with that, you know? Um, but there's so much that we can modify, like, you know, a basic plank, boring, boring as, as far as I'm concerned. But if someone wants to do that, hey, we've, we, can, we can do it on a box, we can do it on the knees, we can, you know, modify all sorts of things so that people get that. Because, you know, we, we work with people who want to work hard, right? So we can still give them that little bit of a burn um, without necessarily pushing them to that point where they start to bulge and cone. So that's kind of my thought with diastasis. Yeah, and, you know, the research is a bit up in the air. So I was reading one systematic review, and, and so a systematic review being a review of all the papers that meet certain quality criteria and then yeah. assessing their quality and pooling the results together. Um, 
Was this on diastasis? And yeah. Pregnancy? Yeah. yeah. And, and like, yeah, it's, it's weak. Like the evidence is weak for anything. Mm. Um, you know, there's a suggestion that maybe exercise contributes to it, but you know, it's hard to say. And it's hard because when you delve into the studies and you know, we were talking about this earlier today and mm. I've been reading a lot of studies and some of them are just, you just like, the, this methodology is terrible. I don't think the results are worth anything, you know. And, and the thing that. is, is that, you know, we're not That's having to a go at the researchers. No. We just recognise that to do the perfect study is extremely difficult. Yeah, um, because people are not homogenous. We're not all built the same with the same connective tissues, you know. And yeah. It's well, hard. having said that, mm. one thing, having read, you know, I was reading some papers on the plane today, one thing that they're not looking at in diastasis research is the beliefs of the woman mm. and, you know, postnatally and antenatally, whether they are associated with, with anything because we know that our actions are driven by our beliefs. Sure. And so, you know, if we've got somebody who's super worried about developing a diastasis, that she might actually decrease her exercise and not meet the World Health Organization, CDC, Department of Health in Australia and around the world, recommendation of 150 minutes of... Because of fear. Yeah, because of fear. Yeah. And then yeah. certainly postnatally, if someone has a large diastasis and they've been told doing any strength training or any abdominal wall exercise is going to make it worse and it's bad for you. Mm. They may seriously hold their exercise back, their activity back, and that may have an impact on their, mm. on their loading and therefore their recovery. So it's, yeah, no, it's a really good point. I, I do want to just say that it's triggered in my mind, maybe the 75 minutes of high intensity exercise isn't in the pregnancy one, but I have to go check now. Um, I'm not sure the high-intensity recommendation in the World Health Organization hmm. is there. You will have to look back. It's there. definitely 150 it's minutes definitely 150, moderate. Five lots of 30, generally speaking. So 30 minutes on most days, plus two strength training. Yeah, that's definitely in there. Yeah. I have to go check the high-intensity yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point because you and I swap between, you know, doing pre- and post-natal and, and everybody, you know, yeah. general. Yeah, we see general public. General public. <laughs> Once you're postnatal, you're postnatal for life. That's true. So, um, beautiful. Um, so, leading up to, you know, I got sent a video by somebody. Uh, her name's Christmas Abbott uh, on Instagram. Fantastic athlete. Mm -hmm. And she was doing some, some jumping. So, it's like a double tap. So, you jump up, double tap. Um, land, jump up, double tap. Oh, just tap with your hands on your thighs. Just tapping with your hands on your thighs. It's one of the it's one of the scaling options for double unders okay, yep. skipping, and she was doing that, and she was doing it to try and induce labour. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she's quite pregnant, like forty weeks, um, doing that, and you know, I was on the plane, and I saw her just before takeoff. It's like, oh, she's had a baby. <laughs> so what? Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't think it. Works. Some people go for sex. Other people go for. Modified double unders. <laughs> Some people go for a walk. <laughs> Some people go for a walk or have a curry. Anyway. <laughs> I'll have a curry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go castor oil. That's really bad. Oh. Uh, so, yes. Um, where was I going with that? I have no yes. Idea. Third trimester Third exercises trimester. Yep. And, and what you're trying to do. 
Yep. So again, this is really varied. It depends on the person. Some people will cruise through their third trimester and actually only feel it in the last couple of weeks. Um, I think for a lot of women, especially in the final, you know, I'm just thinking of the clients I have at the moment, the final sort of five weeks is when I find a lot of my clients sort of start to slow down a bit. Um, I can see it in the way they move. They might start to get that little bit of a waddle on as the baby moves further down into the pelvic cavity. Um, it's just getting a little bit more tired. Uh, the they're obviously getting bigger. You get a lot of growth in those last few weeks. Um, I actually didn't even wear a lot of my maternity stuff till I was about, you know, 34 weeks. And I remember I was living in London. I bought so much stuff there because the maternity clothes in the UK are so much better than Australia. <laughs> um, and I was gutted because I had all these things and I put them on and they were like a bloody tent. But in, the, in those last sort of five or six weeks, I was like, yes, I've got the belly. So, you know, for a lot of us, you know, you really start to start to um, poke out at that time which makes transitional movements really awkward so in my classes I try and limit you know that up down up down stuff so we'll, we'll kind of do stuff in one position and change and you know if they're a bit earlier on fine up down but you really do see in those last five weeks or so they're just like jeez do I have to oh, yeah. gotta go from lying down to sitting up now like this is just a little bit much we got five minutes <laughs> So um, a lot of the exercises are still, you know, I still, I still squat, split squat, do a little bit of overhead work, whatever. You know, there's no, there's no real need to pull back from that apart from load. So you'll usually find that they just can't generate as much force for those reasons that we talked about before. And there's more pressure going down through the pelvic floor. So we'll, we'll tend to really back off the weights and back off the load um, in the final trimester. But again, it's just, it's going to completely depend on that person in front of you. Um, I like to do a lot of birth preparation in terms of more, I don't do a lot of the particular stretching or positioning kind of stuff. I know some physios do that. I definitely talk about prep for birth, what you can do when you're in, in labor. Um, we'll talk about perineal massage. We'll talk about relaxation and mental preparation and all that, all that kind of thing, just to kind of get the head in the game. Talk about the pelvic floor and how, yes, during pregnancy, where it's, it's, it's kind of holding everything in. It's keeping, giving your um, internal organs a lot of support. In labour, do we want our pelvic floor to be super on or do we actually want it to go? And that's something that's really hard for, for some women. And I think that's probably more the point of perineal massage. I think a lot of people... Um, so for those who don't know perineal massage, it's when, you know, in the last few weeks you insert couple of fingers or you know usually a thumb with some lubricant you actually stretch the back of the perineum so towards the anus so you put the thumb inside the vagina and you stretch sort of like if you imagine a clock face sort of that three to the three to nine o'clock um and people think it's to kind of physically stretch the tissue but for a lot of people it's more can i relax can i give in to that sensation of discomfort unclench my jaw unclench my pelvic floor and just breathe and and that kind of yeah it's really hard because what do we do when we have pain or if we're stressed mm. you clench the crap out of your pelvic floor um and i remember reading this study you might laugh at this actually i read lots of random things like you but they put um uh the they put uh emg markers that are in the in the perineum so in for the pelvic floor and also on upper trapezius so on the shoulders neck and shoulders and i think maybe somewhere else as well. And they showed women scary movies. Did you yeah. read that one? Yeah, I read that one. And, and then the pelvic floor would naturally contract really strongly. And whether it was a movie that was 
um, sexually violent or whether it was just generally scary. The pelvic floor went, Yoink! and so I say this to my pregnant ladies too. It's like, okay, so if you're fearful of birth, it's going to be really hard for you to relax your pelvic floor and allow the baby to descend. So it kind of, again, fits in with all the parasympathetic versus sympathetic nervous system stuff, which is a whole nother talk. But in labor, we want to be calm and relaxed. We want to let our shoulders, our jaw fully relax, allow the pelvic floor to soften. I say soften, just to reduce muscular activity. Um, so all of these kind of things are, are worth mentioning as well. You know, around that 28-week sort of mark, lots of women develop uh, back pain, pelvic pain, hip pain. Um, how does that affect exercise? Mm. Great question. This is something I think I talked to Heber about for about 40 minutes on a podcast once. But in a nutshell, I mean, it can happen any time of pregnancy. Of course. I find, I don't know about you, Anthony, but I find there's a group of women who seem to get it around 16 to 20 weeks, like the ones that get it earlier, and some of those actually get better. Yes. And then I, I feel like there's this other cohort who get it later in pregnancy, and they sort of tend to find to that 30 it... 30 and Yeah, just... yeah. <laughs> um, and for some of them, it gets, it gets worse as they get heavier. Um, how does it affect exercise? Basically... My job as a physio is finding ways to keep them exercising. And I, I've probably had, there's been two ladies in the last four years who haven't been appropriate for me to keep exercising um, because their pain was just, it was, so, it was so significant. And there were a lot of um, psychological factors as well. And they actually needed to go and do some other things. Uh, but on the whole, nearly every single woman can keep exercising. And usually that's things like, um, instead of doing a walking lunge, just doing a short split squat. So keeping the legs a little bit closer together, um, avoiding a lot of standing on one leg. So women with pelvic girdle pain will typically find things like standing on one leg to put knickers and shoes and socks on uh, painful. So we don't do a lot of one-legged stuff. Um, limiting a lot of those transitional movements, so getting in and out of sitting and standing. Um, even things like what I call Superman, you know, when you're on all fours and you lift one arm and your off- opposite leg, that actually is very um, provocative for a lot of women, especially with the pubic symphysis pain, so the pain around the front. So just doing things like sliding the foot along the floor but keeping it in contact, so turning that into a closed chain exercise or even just doing the arms is often enough to get the back muscles you know, working. So there's all these little tricks and, and, and tips and I do find that, like I said, the vast majority of women can keep exercising and they usually feel better for it, you know, getting more strength, especially through... Well, anywhere through the lower limb, but, you know, glutes, getting glutes, inner thigh muscles, pelvic floor, just strengthening generally will, will do really well. Awesome. Awesome. Um, gestational diabetes is usually tested for around that time yep. as well, 28 weeks. Um, how do you find a diagnosis of gestational diabetes affecting their exercise? How does that all work in with their management? Yeah, so that depends on how they're managed through their GP. So a lot of them will go on to, they'll, they'll see a nutritionist or dietitian and get advice from that. And ideally, they, they usually get some kind of exercise program. There's been some pretty good studies in Perth, which they've done on static bikes. Um, and it, generally, people tend to get one of two options or they get two pieces of advice. One will be walking, walking every day, and the other one will be um, on a static bike. Um, but usually, they need to increase their exercise um, to help with their blood sugars. Uh, I don't tend to do a lot of one-to-one management with that. That would usually be some of the exercise physiologists or 
literally via a, a leaflet. Um, but generally speaking, they tend to get told they yeah that they need to up their exercise to help improve their um their their blood sugars and getting that insulin working well. Beautiful. Uh, what else is there? I don't know. I think we've I think we've covered <laughs> most of it, right? No doubt we're going to stop recording and then go. Ah, oh, forgot well, to talk about this. I know. But, I know. We we may have forgotten something major, but this has been very. I think off it's a good. Cuff. I think it's a yeah. very good introduction to the topic. Yeah. Um, and so you know. And if we've missed anything, we can do another one. If we've missed anything, let us know yeah. because we'll add it to the we're next human. one. Definitely. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you very much. And, um, you know, it's always great having a chat. And, you know, we're, we're in where your magic happens, you know, so. Um, we're in my study. <laughs> like, normally we live like five hours flight away yeah. from each other. So we're in the same room. Um, so unusual, isn't it? It's, it's kind of cool. It's unusual. <laughs> it's unusual. Yeah. So thank you very much. And. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah. See you next time. Bye, everyone. Well, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to hit like if you enjoyed this episode and leave any comments or questions below because we'd really love to hear from you. If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified of when we release a new episode. Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.